The Start On Demand. On demand. Gas prices went up to $1.429 in Winnipeg on Tuesday, and apparently you ain't seen nothing yet. A Manitoba man is no longer vaccine hesitant, and he's hoping others are going to follow his lead, so we'll share his story. Winnipeg Blue Bomber receiver Kenny Lawler apologized on Tuesday for his DUI. And what kind of stuff do you have that you've had for a long time, maybe even more than 20 years? And you still use it today. We had lots of fun talking about that this morning. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, October 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It's actually 17.5 as measured by the <laughs> by the forks. And yesterday, even though Environment Canada officially listed it at 30 degrees, I think mm-hmm. it was after 3 o'clock, did we, did we breach the 30-degree line officially? I think we go by our friend Rob Paula and his Twitter account, at Rob Zobbs. He says officially 29.6. Oh! So close. Wow. So incredibly, like... October people. The car, I was in the car yesterday, and you know how it shows you the temperature, and you always assume it's wrong? Yeah. And then I got outside, and I double-checked Environment Canada, and I was like, it is. It really is. Twenty. Well, I was in Westman yesterday. It was 30 where I was, so it was hot. Yeah, Brandon was the hot spot in Canada yesterday. It was 31.6, yeah. I think, at one point. Yeah, I had to drive out there just to do some cleanup stuff for the to get things ready for the winter for the cabin, and I... Um, got out of the house and I or got out to the cabin and I thought this might be the hottest day I've had out here and it's October. Like, <laughs> and I was you're shutting putting, it down. Yeah, I'm putting away the kayak. I'm like, should I just go for a kayak right now? <laughs> like, this is crazy. Yeah, like I went for a walk yesterday and it we we've had hotter days, but the fact that there are leaves on the ground, there's there's it's almost like there's something in my brain trying to tell me it should be colder right now. So it just like I felt like I was gonna melt. I'm not complaining. I just it it it. There's this weird tug of war in my head where I I know it's hot outside, but I also know it shouldn't be this hot. So I don't know what to make of it, Greg. Well, the angle of the sun. Somebody mentioned this to me the other day because it's so much lower in the sky. It feels like it's kind of beating right on you. And then I suspect once again, this is just conjecture and conversation, (laughs) but with the reduction of the number of leaves and the tree canopy, the protection you're getting from the trees, I suspect, is slightly reduced. So who knows? But it does. It felt really hot yesterday, and that wind, that wind was a factor, Mm -hmm. but it was like a blast furnace, like we (laughs) feel in the middle of the summer. It is so unusual, but I don't know how many people are really complaining about this. I know the farmers would like some more moisture, and it actually looks like we might get it this weekend. Did anyone expect Greg just to drop in with the angle of the sun comment right now? Like I'm Googling madly with the science that just got dropped into my lap at 6.07.30 a.m. It's not my theory. Well, I know. I, I heard you. You heard it from it. somebody. That's but right. Like, you know, people say the angle of the sun. I'm like, do they say that? Who says this? Where's this angle? of? The- I'm, I'm madly Googling. I'm impressed, man. Yeah. You were awake. That you makes, were awake on this Wednesday. It does make yeah, – that, and that makes sense, Macklin, because it just – it did feel like I, I felt – like I was burning 
Like I was going to get a sunburn, and I felt it more so yesterday than I would yeah. in, say, July. And maybe that's what it is uh, because of the angle of the sun. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you mentioned the moisture backling, and it looks like we're going to get some rain on the weekend. I think I saw, depending on which forecast you looked at, potentially 15 millimeters on Saturday. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the Environment Canada website right now, and it just says for Saturday, 17 showers. Uh, overnight Saturday, rain, showers Sunday. So you know quite often you'll have that percentage yep. attached to it. This this feels quite definite. So I know over the next uh, day or so we'll be reaching out to some of our favorite re- weather people to get confirmation of what we can expect. And it just has me wondering because I pay attention to the weather across Western Canada in particular, anywhere where uh, my buddies live. I pay attention to Calgary. I pay attention to Vernon, B.C., and uh, Carlsbad, California. So I'm sort of always taking a look at the weather there. And uh, in Calgary, let me see if they're still calling for it. I don't want to use the word unnecessarily. Uh, Yeah, there it is for Monday, 60% chance of snow thanksgiving monday a high of six degrees currently in calgary an overnight low of zero and then they go actually they go into the minus uh three overnight friday minus two saturday so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it has me wondering because we two years ago we had that great big snowstorm over thanksgiving weekend yeah and so when we have this discussion later on in the week uh, about what we're going to see this weekend, like how close, how close would we be? Like this is going to be, if this is going to be a major precipitation event, how far away is the weather that would turn this into snow? I'm just uh, really curious. Ooh. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, vaccination numbers continue to rise in Manitoba with some communities in the Southern Health region now passing the 50% threshold. But there are many who are still hesitant or downright against it. You know, I'd say most of them are not out there to destroy the government or destroy the people around them. They truly believe that it's going to either harm them, kill them, or the government's out to get them. That was Jason Lorato. He uh, spoke with Hal Anderson yesterday morning on Connecting Winnipeg here on 680 CJOB. And Loren, the 47-year-old, recently received his second dose of COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, I was listening to that conversation with Hal yesterday before Jason went on to speak with Global's Brittany Greenslade. Brittany had connected with him a a couple days ago for him to share his story. And man, he actually said at one point, if there had been a flag that had like an anti-vax symbol on it, like that was who he was. He was proudly carrying this anti-vax flag. But he's changed his mind. And as Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, he's hoping his story will inspire others to talk, to listen and to learn. If there was a flag that I could hold back then, it was the anti-vax flag and all things anti-vax. For decades, Jason Lorado stood his ground, firmly against all vaccines. And it was even to the point where my, when my daughters were in grade six, you know, and going to school in Steinbeck, uh, I pulled them out of the line when they had their HPV vaccination day. You know, that's how strongly that I was against it. And when it came to the COVID-19 vaccine, it was no different. Lorado says he felt brainwashed by his own beliefs to the point he didn't trust doctors. I definitely never met Rusin before and so I didn't trust him at, the, at that time. You know, my own personal doctor, great doctor if he's watching this, this program, um, to me he was just a doctor. That's his agenda. 
was to push the vaccine. But a calm conversation with two in-laws who work in the medical profession changed his entire outlook. They answered all my fears, questions, concerns, you know, all the theories that I believed in based on so-called doctors and scientists that pushed that the vaccine is going to kill you, that the government sought to control you, um, all these things. And they did it with uh, integrity, they did it with sincerity, they did it with love, instead of trying to push it down my throat. The vaccines and people's beliefs have created divisiveness within communities and families. Two deeply divided sides many are hoping to mend with a gentler approach. The actions that we take and the things that we do, um, some of those memories are going to last forever for people. Vaccine uptake in some parts of the Southern Health Region is as low as 25%. And Lorado, a former pastor, says he can relate to many of those people. But now he's hoping speaking out will change that. The flag that I carried for so long, people watch me. I'm not, I wasn't famous, I wasn't popular, I'm talking people in my circle. And just two days ago, one of my best friends who was vaccine hesitant, who lives in Steinbeck, just got his first vaccine. He says a weight has been lifted off his shoulders after decades. As for his wife? My wife would laugh. She goes, you know, a month or two months ago, there's not a chance I would have said something like that. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. Good for Lorado for speaking so openly. It is not easy to, to come to do a public about face like that and to do it so boldly. Um, and, and sincerely, Loren, um, I, I applaud him for coming out with his story. No, I, I listened, like I said, to both Hal and then to Brittany's story last night. And I just thought, you know, there's, that's hard to do, first of all, because he's going to ha now have people who are mad at him, right, on the on the, the friends of his that were hesitant or anti-vax are, are going to wonder what he's doing and why he's speaking out and might not like that he's changed his mind. He's going to have people on the other side saying, why did you wait so long? I mean, there's such a risk in exposing yourself like that. And at the same time, too, I just like the journey that he went on. Like That's probably how many people have them thinking. And the fact that he had that conversation, Greg, with those two doctors and just hope that more people can have those conversations, find the person that you do trust and see what they have to say and then maybe make another decision. Yeah, I agree with you, Brett, in terms of the, the courage that it takes to, uh, A, you know, never mind privately, but to publicly come out and admit that you've made this about face. And Loren, you sort of said it as well, this, this idea that, you know, the way you approach it is so critical. Um, yeah, we discussed this on Thursday uh, during Truth and Reconciliation Day and about what is most important. And maybe sometimes uh, listening is, is critical and uh, we just have to open up our minds and our hearts to one another and, and maybe we can uh, bridge, bridge the gap no matter what that looks like. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and specifically their receiver, Kenny Lawler, who says, Loren, that he made a mistake in getting behind the wheel after drinking. Yeah, so he was involved in a single vehicle accident early Monday morning that led to his arrest for impaired driving. That then led the Bombers to immediately suspend Lawler for Friday's game, although he was allowed to practice yesterday, Greg, and it doesn't sound like there'll be further suspensions or other from the league. And listening to Mike O'Shea discuss that part of it, uh, he was asked about, you know, is Lawler going to be able to practice with the team? And he says, well, what am I supposed to do? This guy doesn't live here. I'm supposed to send him home to be alone with his thoughts? No, that's not what we do. He's uh, part of the organization. We're, we're going to help him get through this, and uh, that's that's what we're going to do. And so here is Lawler uh, in his own words. He says he was dreading 
that he had to walk into that locker room yesterday, but knows he owes everyone an apology. I just want to take this time to apologize to my coaches, my teammates, the organization, my family, um, the Bomber community, the fans, and uh, let them know I'm truly sorry that, um, you know, for me to go out and disappoint many people, many people that look up to me, um, this was a mistake. It was a selfish decision, a just a bad decision on my part that I knew better not to get stepped in that car. So I'm sorry to everyone out there being immature. Um, you know, I pride myself of coming in as a matured veteran and, you know, with something like this happening, it's it's not a good look for me, it's not a good look for a team. And I'm just like, I'm just real sorry just for having to put a lot of people through this. I want everyone to be out there, out there, be very smart about the decisions they make. And um, I'm just thankful and blessed that I ain't hurt nobody. I didn't even hurt myself. And something like this could be, could could be ten times worse. So, I just want the kids, fans, adults, just anyone, just to really think twice about the things and the decisions that you're about to make when you're um, when you're not in the right mind. And um, once again, I am sorry. The support from my teammates has been amazing. Um, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> uh, I was. Man, I was dreading walking in this locker room, having to deal with, you know, everything that's happened and transpired. And as soon as I walked in this locker room, man, um, I was being hugged on, you know, I was, people were coming, patting me on my back, letting me know that I'm about to get through this. Cause I feel like, man, like I, I was feeling the worst ever and that I could not get through it. And, you know, with the teammates and my family that know, um, they've been very supportive. And for my message that I, I told the team, I was just sorry that I'm le- I let y'all down. I took myself off the field this Friday. Just, I'm sorry I let you down and just in the community, just, just a lot of things. And, you know, I just wanted to let them know that I'm sorry because this is something that I don't don't want to have on my shoulders. And it's, it's the, re- and the reality of the situation is that this is what I'm going through. And I wanted to let them know that I, make a, that I made a mistake and well, most importantly, when I come back, I'm going to be a better a man, a father, um, a teammate, a player. And um, I believe this is going to be a very important step, a turning point in my in my career. Kenny Lawler, 27-year-old man. I don't know how much more or what else you'd like to hear from somebody when making an apology, Loren, did it ha- did it have all the elements of a genuine apology in in your view? Yeah, I think so. And you know, I mean, obviously, you watch things going forward, and you hope that's the last time something like this has happened. And certainly, there will be those who who've been on the other end of it, been really impacted or hurt by a drunk driver, and will think, "Well, that was your that was your one chance. Don't make that mistake again, because your regret that you're feeling and the shame you're feeling will be nothing compared to how much worse that situation can be." Right. And so, I feel like. The remorse was there, and I think, you know, man, you, you as you said yesterday, you'd hope you'd walk into your own employment, and if you've made that singular mistake, that people would accept that it was one mistake, and hopefully it is one mistake and done, one and done.
Last half hour, we heard from a man who we applauded and saluted for speaking so frankly and honestly about Mm -hmm. his choice to switch on the vaccine. And now we're hearing from a man who came out and spoke frankly and honestly. Typically, how many times have we seen it, Greg, where athletes make mistakes and they come out and they read some canned statement that you can tell they're just reading because they have to. And Lawler, to to say all the things that he said and to be so honest, uh, again, I'm I'm saluting him for his honesty because that could not have been easy to uh, speak publicly on that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Yesterday, Greg spotted a tweet from Susie Urjavec-Parker. We speak to Susie often on this show. We talked to her about social issues. We talked to her about social media. We talked to her about entrepreneurship. We talked to her about fried chicken fest. We talked to her about lots of things. She's got lots to say, lots of fun things to say. And yesterday, she tweets out the question, what's something you bought slash got a long time ago, even 20-plus years ago, that has no business still being used but is in good shape? And you still use it today. So that's the question we're going to ask today at 204-780-6868. And the winning text gets bomber tickets for Friday's game against Edmonton and runner-up, boo at the zoo tickets. So let's go around the horn here. Mackling, you spotted the tweet. Let's start with you. I love the way your voice inflected when you said fried chicken. You got <laughs> very excited there about fr- fried chicken fest, Brett. I love fried chicken. <laughs> and who doesn't? Hey, uh, well, last night I had an interaction with a 20-plus-year-old can opener. I bought a brand new one. I uh, think it was last year, but Jackie's had this one since before we met. And for whatever reason, it was in the jar in the drawer, and I decided to use it, and uh, it was a disaster. I ended up with tomato sauce on my jeans, on my socks, all <laughs> over the floor. It just didn't cut all the way through. That can opener is in the garbage this morning, and the new one will be the only one available. But uh, I guess uh, the thing that's been impressing me the most that's over 20 years old, well over 20 years old, are some of my old clothes, <laughs> some of my old keepsakes uh, that my boys have started to wear. And on Monday, I picked up Alexander from school, and he's wearing a Los Angeles Lakers 1987-1988 back-to-back world championship T-shirt that he has dug out of the archives and is is wearing on a regular basis. It actually still looks pretty good. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so they're bringing the retro, like the genuine retro, they're bringing it back. Jeff Braun? Mine's also from uh, 1987. It's this old Adidas gym bag uh, from that era. I got It was brand new when I got it when I was in grade five. And uh, it's uh, it looks great. It's beige with some brown trim. It looks mm. it looks retro now. It looked modern at the time. But it's uh, it looks really good. And it still works. A zipper where one of the end of the zipper attachment is kind of fallen off. But it still closes just fine. And the handles work and everything. So I use that uh, all the time as a, when I travel. Really? Oh, yeah. It's not my like my main bag, but I, I use it a lot. That's amazing, especially the zipper. The zippers you can almost you, you can almost always count on zippers to fail on yeah. uh, virtually anything. Uh, Poitras, what about you? Well, it's like there's these things that just like you, you remember them your entire life, and it, you're like, how does this keep 
getting into this house and where did it go? Why is it still here? Uh, but it still works. It's this potato peeler that I have that I think was probably made sometime in the late 17th century. Um, still, for some reason, like insanely sharp after all these years, a little bit rusty. Uh, but man, that thing can peel. Um, and I don't know where I got it. I got it. I remember it being in the house. For some reason, I got it uh, from my mom. And it's this potato peeler that I, I use pretty consistently and still works. It still works just as good as like when I was five years old. So like this is a miracle device. Uh, they got to figure out what kind of alloy it's made out of uh, and start, uh, you know, <laughs> pumping these things out a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, this miracle potato peeler. I don't know where it came from. but You need an alchemist, uh, Cam. You need to reverse <laughs> engineer this thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah. it's made of vibranium and it, it hails yeah. from Wakanda. <laughs> I think you're, yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Loren, what about you? Oh, so I've got a sweater that's got to be close to 20 years old that has a hole in it that I burned through at camping, but I can't find anything else in its color. I've got a set of water skis the kids tried this summer that have to be older than me, like 40, 50 years old. And uh, yeah, sure, I could get new ones. And no, they don't look great. They look like you could get some serious splinters on them, but it's like, why? Why would I buy something that you only use once a year? But the thing I love the most that I just pulled out again this summer is an old mountain equipment co-op bag from when I was traveling, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and you're, you know, want to make sure your passport is safe and it zips up properly and you got all your stuff in your little satchel as you walk along. And I haven't used it probably in 10 years. And then I found it the other day and I thought, I should throw this out. This is ridiculous. And then the zippers, Brett, you mentioned the zippers. I was like, no, man, check out these zippers. Like they hold, they could still do the trick. Mm -hmm. So I went for a walk the other day and used it just to hold my phone. That was all that was in it. I was like, check out my MEC bag, guys. Looking good. 35 years later. It's... I. I refuse to to get rid of it. It's it had to have been a hundred dollars then because it was such good quality. And look at it; it's still uh, holding its own. We need what if a I go hosteling or backpacking in Europe sure. again? You just the don't Euro know. Mountains <laughs> await. Loren. You're, you're going to be stuck in those rooms with twenty other twenty yeah. year olds. Yeah, coming what if, in uh, drunk in the middle of the night. Yeah, oh yeah, that's happened on the bunk bed. You're crawling into <laughs> yeah. the wrong bed, sir. Yeah, <laughs> happened. That's happened. That to was me. not an accident, Loren. I've been there. Uh, Forte, what about you? I don't even know if I have anything that is 20 years old. I just moved to my apartment, what, uh, two and a half years ago? So everything is brand new except for my Xbox 360. Not the newest Xbox, not the previous Xbox before that, the Xbox 360, which, uh, when did that come out? That came out in... Oh. Just checking that now. 2005, November 22nd, 2005. Oh my gosh. And here's the thing. I don't even play Xbox 360 games on it. I play the original Xbox <laughs> games on it. 007 Nightfire. That came out in, what, 2002. Oh, wow. Halo 1 was on the original Xbox. I was actually playing that I last night. I still play that too. That yes, is an awesome exactly. game. <laughs> there you go. I was playing that last night. Like with all the new <laughs> games and the new consoles that are out, no, I'm playing the oldest one that, that I have. Oh, and I also have my Nintendo 64. There you go. I still play that. All right, so now we got to talk about turkeys. And as uh, you know, Loren, uh, when it came to turkeys, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, time, especially if like we went out, like went to somebody else's place, 
Uh, they always knew to call me and my mom in when it was time to uh, get rid of the skin because we would, <laughs> I would just, I would go running. Brad, you want some turkey skin? Yes, I do. It's funny. I've never had the chance to meet your mom, but every time since you said shared that story a few years ago, I think of your mom every time I make a turkey. So it's I I love that story. And, and turkey is the thing I make just twice a year, Thanksgiving, and on at Christmas time. And I was shopping on the weekend and I saw a couple of options, but I thought to myself, like, this doesn't seem right. These prices seem high. Should I go elsewhere? I recall, can't recall the size last year, but it was 30 to 35 bucks for the turkey I usually get. This year, it feels like it's more like 45 to $50. And so I phoned Munther Z at Food Fair. And yeah, he confirmed it, guys. Prices for turkeys are up, way up, depending if you're buying fresh or frozen. So we want to figure out what the deal is. Munther Z joins us now. Good morning, Munther. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'd like things to be a little bit cheaper, but maybe I'm just cheap. So I don't expect you to know the exact price of what a turkey was per pound a year ago, monther. But on average, what is the increase you're seeing? Oh, it's uh, around uh, almost a dollar a pound increase. And does it make a difference if it's fresh versus frozen? Oh, yes. I mean, uh, well, they both are up probably about a buck a pound. Uh, last year, fresh was going anywhere from a dollar seventy nine to about. 219 depending on where it was from or who's selling it. Now, uh, your cheapest price in the city is around 299 a pound for fresh. That's obviously a big change uh, when you look at percentage-wise, Munther. I was just doing some math in my head. Do we know why this is? I mean, obviously, turkey producers have to make some decisions, uh, you know, not last week, right? These are months and months ago in terms of what they decide to, to produce. So uh, how, explain how this uh, food chain quite literally works when it comes to turkey. Well, from what we've been told is uh, the government has uh, reduced the quota this year. Um, and last year a little bit due to COVID, not sure why, um, which is causing a bit of a shortage throughout uh, the country and causing prices to go up because of the demand. So, um, And they're not producing a lot of frozen at all. Frozen's very limited. Some of the places out there, the big block stores that normally sell at a set price, uh, small, medium, or large turkey, um, are now only offering one specific size, and the size is limited too. I mean, the quantity is limited, so they're trying to keep as much as possible as fresh. Well, depending on where you live in Canada, there are different rules and restrictions as it pertains to COVID, uh, and that's changing the way people might be spending Thanksgiving. Are you hearing that these gathering rules could be impacting this increase? Uh, possibly. I mean, right now, as long as you're all vaccinated, I believe there's no restrictions to who can uh, be in your home. So, um, but uh, people are being careful. They're policing themselves. So, um, I mean, it seems like turkeys and hams are moving very well, but supply is limited on the turkeys especially. Yeah, I'm looking at an article from the U.S. Monther, and they talked about the fact that it's not a shortage per se, but there might be a shortage in certain sizes of turkey because demand might be up due to smaller gathering sizes. Like, you know, you might have had a 25-pound turkey versus the 16-pound turkey, um, you know, a year ago, and you're, you're, you're cooking that smaller turkey because you might not be getting together in such great numbers, just depending on where you live in North America. So that's one part of the equation. I'm curious what you're hearing from customers. You said they're moving well, but we all know that prices have been going up for all sorts of reasons with groceries what are consumers saying to you about what they're noticing well i mean uh, you're right prices are going up throughout the whole store um 
customers are buying what they want. I mean, as an overall bill, even though it's an increase, it's not that bad of an increase overall. Yes, okay, for the turkeys, if you're buying a 20-pound turkey, your turkey's going to cost about $20 more if you're buying a fresh one because it's almost a dollar more. But people are still buying. I mean, our uh, orders are coming in as normal. I mean, weather has a lot to do with it. With this warm weather, a lot of people are thinking barbecue. Uh, but, uh, I mean, still, turkeys and hams are going good. So, And the price doesn't matter right now. Well, and I think, uh, you know, in our house right now, we've just been just with the higher prices month or we've just been more conscientious of making sure that we're using up our leftovers and that the food that we buy ends up uh, going to nourishing our bodies versus going into the garbage because we know how much food we end up wasting on the, on the other end of it. And we're trying to be a little bit more conscientious that way. Are, are you hearing people uh, just maybe thinking a little bit more in terms of meal planning and that sort of thing right now? You hit it right on the spot. I mean, yes, people are making sure they use up everything that they buy. Um, that's a definite thing that's happening. Um, people, I mean, they might still buy 20 pounds, but they're definitely going to use up their leftovers. Uh, waste is down majorly, in my opinion. But, uh, again, people are, are maximizing their dollar use. Mr. Mackling, yes. what is today's code word? Well, it's something that uh, you can't really go to a football game and not have. Oh, yeah? It's plain and simple. Hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you you got to make it all one word, okay? So it's not H-O-T space D-O-G. I'm pretty sure you have to enter it as one word, capital H-O-T-D-O-G. And uh, Loren, uh, there's no finer food anywhere on the planet. I agree. I agree. Steak or hot dog? Sometimes you got to go hot dog. Roast or hot dog? Hot dog. Chicken or hot dog? Hot dog. Pizza on the oven or hot dog? Last you time, I, this is going, last time right? I made hot dogs, I spent like $50 what? <laughs> for on all the all the stuff oh, I put you in did there. Oh, the right. accoutrements. Yeah. The extras. Because yeah, I, I bought it. some fancy wieners and I bought some fancy cheese buns and I bought some bacon and I had, and I, it turns out I was like flat out of condiments. I needed to reload my mayonnaise and my mustard and I don't <laughs> think I even had ketchup in my fridge because the only thing I ever put it on is hot dogs. Uh, so when I looked at the bill, I thought... Wow, this is on? supposed to be uh, kind of a simple meal, but I went all in. All in, I baby. A, I had a girlfriend now. over Saturday for a fire. I said, come over for a fire and we'll have a drink. And, and she came before supper and I said to her, oh, I should tell you, we're not doing anything for supper besides Smokies on the fire. And she goes, yes. She's like, oh, my gosh. All the way here, I was like, please don't have a real supper. Please just have hot dogs on the fire. Because it's, you know, she lives in the city and she can't do that as often. And that was a treat for her, right? <laughs> Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. By the way, tell us a story about something you've had for a long time that you can't believe you still have. And just very quickly here, Loren, we got a really nice text a few minutes ago. Oh, I love this one. And it came in from a listener who says, I still have my late dad's fiddle, which is over 100 years old. Oh. It still plays. And I even took lessons just to hear it play. I can almost see his smile. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Our hackles got up. Our spidey senses started tingling. Our radar went up thanks to a text from listener B-Rad at 7.09 a.m. yesterday. Gas, he said, is $1.459 in Selkirk. Yeah, we were hoping that was just, no offense, B-Rad, we were hoping that was just your problem to deal with in Selkirk. <laughs> but but it wasn't. You know, we had a lot of people texting in and have continued to text in this morning about how it's up everywhere, One thirty. 
1.9 in most parts of Winnipeg. I took a drive early this morning. It's 142.9 where I am south of the city, so it's more here. I was in Westman. It was also 142, 143 yesterday. So there's no escaping it, uh, Greg. We've got texts from a listener now who's a courier driver, and he's worried about these higher prices and that impact it could have on his bottom line. No question. Kathy Kennedy spoke with Dan McTagg. He's president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. I heard the interview live yesterday afternoon, and friends, I have to say, I did not like very much of what Dan had to say. By the way, the dollar forty-two point nine, uh, possibly going to a dollar forty-four point nine over the next several days because the markets are indicating upwards. These are historical all-time high prices for gasoline uh, right across uh, the city, right across the province. In fact, uh, with the exception of Newfoundland and Vancouver, the highest prices we've ever paid. So what does that mean then, Dan, for for the future of gas prices? Well, I guess you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, And I'm using a Winnipeg term. (laughs) Thank you for that. Being a native, uh, boring bred there, um, I you know I always try to bring things home, and you know I, I have a sense that this is only the beginning of an energy super bubble, uh, a cycle that is going to see prices moving up rather than down. At a time in the year when people expect prices to drop, we've converted from summer to winter blends of gasoline that tends to be a little deeper, but this is uh, a period unlike any we've seen before. Um, setting aside. Uh, that we've put uh, all our eggs in one renewable basket. I think we're also looking at uh, years before this uh, this fact, uh, this this uh, uh, this economy uh, begins to stabilize. I know that analysts had been predicting for weeks now that we were going to see a hike and we remained stable, as you say, at 131.9. And so I think people went, ah, not going to happen. And then today we get the shocker. Yeah, I mean, I had spoken to several people I knew in Houston and had been following what I'm seeing in terms of uh, gasoline uh, futures prices for natural gas and oil. Watching, of course, rather disturbingly what's happening in the UK, Germany. Uh, where there is a shortage of, uh, of energy, of fuel. Um, what we're really seeing here is the effect of a pandemic coming to an end and, you know, a supercharged economy uh, in which, uh, you know, pent-up demand has to be uh, met. And to do that uh, requires a lot more fossil fuels, not less. On December the 1st, 2022, so in 14 months from now, the clean fuel standard, what I call the second carbon tax, is imposed. It's modeled on the BC low carbon fuel standard, and it's currently an additional 16 cents a liter for gasoline, 19 cents for diesel, and then of course you have to add your GST on top of that. So I don't see much in the way of any uh, reprieve. We might see prices move back a little bit in the mid 130s, but there's a greater likelihood that we're going to start to see gasoline head a lot closer to $1.50 a liter.
Sorry, guys. The only way to sort of dull the pain a little bit was to <laughs> add to the B- add the BTO. I was thinking to myself, as soon as that music started playing, is, it, is, is Greg trying to trick us to make us feel a little bit better that you ain't seen nothing yet, but at least the tunes will make us happy? I don't like hearing that we'd be heading towards, in a year's time, a dollar fifty a liter. I mean, that's a lot of pain at the pump and sticker shock that would stick around for a long, long time. And so I we, we trust a lot in what Dan McTeague has to say, but as always with many things, we like to get second opinions, Brett. Yep, so the, coming up at uh, 8.37, we are going to speak to Roger McKnight, Senior Petroleum Analyst at NPRO International. Uh, that's after Global News at 8.30. And our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Do the rising gas prices have you thinking twice about how often you drive? And your options are, yes, I'll drive less. I have no choice but to drive. No, I don't drive that much anyway, or I don't have a vehicle. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com or on Twitter at 680cjob. For me, I fall into the I have no choice, or pardon me, <laughs> that's wrong. I, I'm, the, I'm in the I don't drive that much anyway um, because I, I, well, I take a cab to work. I walk home almost five days a week. In the winter, it will be five days a week, and uh uh, I fill my tank maybe maybe once a month, Greg. Yeah, well, I might have to uh, do some recalculations with regard to that opportunity to take a cab in the morning. Uh, we get a little bit of an allowance potentially for that. I would overspend it. I would have to supplement it, uh, but maybe the math might work out. Well, with and gas it, and parking, if you add it all up. Yeah, or, yeah. And if but, it's two weeks, it's one thing, Greg, but if it's yeah, two months or yeah, a year, or, you 100%. know. 100%. One of our listeners, and I just wanted to get this in quick, one of our listeners saying, please remind your listeners that it's not the gla- the clerk at the gas station who makes this decision. I suspect this person does that for a living and is already hearing it from customers. So uh, not that person's fault, folks. Yeah, don't take it out on the clerk. Don't be a jerk. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg, the Winnipeg Football Club has something special lined up for pregame warm-up this Friday. Jerseys will be worn by both the Blue Bombers and Edmonton Elks in recognition of Orange Shirt Day. To get the details, we welcome to the start Grand Chief Arlen Dumas. Good morning, Grand Chief Dumas. Good morning. How are you? We, uh, we're doing well. Thanks for taking some time with us. We also say good morning to President and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, Wade Miller. Good morning, Wade. Good morning. Well, I know, guys, we have lots to talk about this morning and a really special initiative ongoing at the club. But before we get to these jerseys that have been put out this week, uh, Grand Chief, I'd like to ask you just about, you know, we're almost one week removed from the first ever National Truth and Reconciliation Day, which, of course, coincides with Orange Shirt Day. And I would just like to hear your perspective these days later, how you feel about how that day went and sort of the impact we hope it has had. Oh, I think it was a, a, a tremendous day. You know, I, I do want to acknowledge, uh, you know, the, the media and the work that you've done in, in canvassing and, and uh, uh, creating uh, some awareness and advocacy. You know, I can tell you firsthand listening to some of the survivors themselves who we had a, a group of walkers who'd walked uh, 1,156 kilometers from uh, northern Manitoba that arrived that day, and then they continued to walk to the powwow in St. John's Park where where there was thousands and thousands of people standing in solidarity in orange shirts and and uh, those survivors acknowledged you know for the first time ever where they were hearing uh, 
um, memorialization and, and uh, uh, acknowledgement of, of their history and, and the journey and, uh, and that they were survivors. So it was, it was quite an, uh, an awe-inspiring day. Wade, uh, tell us a little bit about these special jerseys and whether or not we can get our own, our own hands on them. Yes, uh, well, uh, Mike Pyle, the uh, CEO of uh, Exchange Income Corporation, who we've been doing uh, flying, uh, uh, you know, flying communities in to bomber games since 2017, came up with this initiative, and it's just a great one. Um, you know, so Friday night, uh, both Edmonton and Winnipeg will have their orange jerseys on for the pregame warm-up, and then after that, they'll be auctioned uh, off online, and, and everyone will be able to go purchase those. And uh, all the proceeds raised from those will go to Wasack in Winnipeg and the Spirit of North in Edmonton uh, to, to local uh, communities or to groups that work with the Indigenous community. So pretty exciting be the first time in the CFL history that two teams are wearing the same jersey as they step on the field, uh, you know, even, even for warm-ups. If you haven't seen them, you can go to uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber, bluebombers.com, the Blue Bombers website. Uh, some great models yesterday. Uh, some of your star players wearing those. Uh, and, Wade, uh, wonderful initiative. Congratulations on that. Grand Chief Dumas, we understand. Uh, Wade touched it on it a, a tiny bit there, uh, that there are going to be some Blue Bomber fans in the stands Friday who will be coming from a long way away, about a 1,000 of them, we understand. Yes, absolutely. But from from every community, we there was an opportunity to send ten ten youth or ten community members from every community. I believe we've had some tremendous uptake. So we're looking forward to meeting all of those students and and children. And keep in mind, some of them they come from remote and isolated uh, communities, like Wade said. So some people uh, take for granted that we have the ability to go to a game, uh, but uh, some people. And this will be their first time to the city. Some of some of the children, it'll, you know, it'll be quite quite impactful for them to see so many of their peers at the, at the game, and uh, hopefully to see uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers win another game for us. Yeah, here's hoping on that front as well, Grand Chief Wade. I I know you you both touched on the fact that people will be coming here from so many different communities. But Wade, in the past, I know it's also been important for the club to get the players to some of those more remote northern communities. What is it about that initiative that the club is so involved in? Why do you think it's important for the players to also go out and see parts of Manitoba that, frankly, many of us maybe haven't visited before? Yeah, you know, uh, this game especially with, uh, you know, as Chief Dumas said there, Grand Chief said, um, they'll be from 80 different communities coming in. So a thousand kids that EIC is bringing in all wearing orange uh, hoodies at the game. Uh, so, so that'll be impactful, important for our players to get out and, and see, and, and just be a part. We have the ability with our, our voice and our, the stardom of our players to go to the communities and, and, and make a small difference. And that's why we want to do that. We look forward to getting back to doing that after the pandemic, obviously and getting back out into the communities. And, you know, the one I think stands out is when the Grey Cup was here in 2015, when we uh, hosted, you know, did the Northern tour with the Grey Cup. I think that was pretty special. And then the different times that we're able to go out and teach flag football or, or just go to the communities and just talk to the kids and, and uh, you know, do, do our part as much as we can. Grand Chief, uh, relationship between the football club and First Nations in Manitoba seems to be growing by the year. Why, why is it important from your standpoint, on your side of things? 
I think it's significant to bring awareness of, of this issue. You know, keep in mind uh, the origins of Orange Shirt Day, uh, you know, the origins of um, National Truth and Reconciliation Day, keeping in mind the the terrible things that have happened in residential school, uh, some of the some of the dark history uh, for far too long that we were well aware of it as First Nations and Indigenous people. We we lived our our, our reality, but for for up until recently, it, it was it was something that was was kept from everyone else, and it's uh, it's an opportunity for people to become more aware of what has happened. You know, I, I and I'd like to say on a personal level, you know, when when we found the 215 unmarked graves that that led for this this movement, uh, uh, and and having to uh, ad, ad, address uh, systemic racism and systemic discrimination for a lot of my life, it was quite. Uh, hopeful and um, inspiring to see orange shirts all over the city. You know, uh, the people that come to the pile, thousands thousands of people with, with more awareness and wanting to know how we move forward and, and understanding why things are the way they are. And uh, hopefully through that allyship and that advocacy, you know, we'll be able to create a better uh, Manitoba for everybody. And I just, just quickly, I want to actually acknowledge when, when the 215 graves were actually found, you know, on a, acknowledge Wade Miller and, and the Bombers Club, they, they almost instantly reached out and asked, you know, what can we do? How can we be, how can we be helpful? You know, and, and uh, I truly appreciated those efforts because, you know, football is something that many, many people love. It's, it's, a, it's a great game, but it's also an opportunity to, to create some uh, good dialogue and an opportunity for everybody to share. Grand Chief, uh, we look forward to a great night on, you know, Friday, October 8th and uh, I'm going to run run you guys over maybe a second here. On a real lighter note, you know, come to the game, enjoy your elk burgers that we're selling in the stadium as well and your Thanksgiving poutine, and uh, let's have a lot of fun on Friday night and watch another big win by the Bombers. So um, look forward to it. Thank you. All right, Wade. Go Bombers, go. With gas as high as $1.42.9 a litre, Winnipeg is on the brink, Loren, of seeing the highest prices it's ever seen. Yeah, that's the price in my neck of the woods. And, and yesterday, Dan McTeague, who's the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, he told KK that this is just the beginning and that we need to be prepared for what is being called an energy super bubble. And so to say that got all of our attention, including many of our listeners who are wondering what the heck's going on, I think is an understatement, Greg. Yeah, so in the past, we've drawn on the wisdom and expertise of Roger McKnight. He's Senior Petroleum Analyst with NPRO International. Roger joins us again this morning on The Start. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, everyone. So would you use the term energy super bubble? Uh, first of all, let me uh, declare that this is international. Don't shoot the messenger, Jay. So it's, <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> it's international, okay? So everybody in the world is listening to this uh, broadcast. Um, is it a bubble? I think it's, uh, it's a bubble that's growing. I don't know how it's going to burst. This, this is, uh, we're, in a, we're in very deep water right now, uncharted territory insofar as prices are concerned, uh, not only in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but uh, really right across the country. This is getting uh, very, very interesting indeed. Well, every time we talk gas prices, we all ask uh-huh. the question, why? And I don't think Canadians ever really like the answer, but I will ask you, you know, we're looking at anything uh-huh. from 131 to 133 to 142.9. 
in Winnipeg, why? What People always say, sure, it's the long weekend, thanks a lot, we're hitting the road, now you're raising the prices at the pump. What's going on? It's not. It's got nothing to do with uh, this up, upcoming uh, Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving weekend uh, because prices in Canada aren't made in Canada. If, if if it was a U.S. Thanksgiving holiday along with ours, then and prices would go up, and I, w- I would blame it on the oil companies in Canada. But it's it's not it's not the case. What, what we've got to remember here is that uh, a big factor in the price of a liter of gasoline is the cost of crude, and that's gone up uh, 52% so far this year. And the latest news from our buddies in OPEC say they're not going to increase supply. They're going to put us on a drip feed, whereby uh, they're, they're going to really slow down the, the intended uh, increase in production so that the price of crude is now, is now creeping up in response to that. Counter to all that, of course, we've got an increase in demand because of the success of the vaccine rollout to a certain extent, I guess. And that's uh, increased economic ac- activity. It's increased consumer confidence. It's got the, the people saying, I'm going to go back in my car on the road. I'm going to get in my car, go to the airport, and start flying, uh, uh, flying around the world again. So that's increased demand for all refined products. Um, but uh, supply has, has dwindled down as far as uh, crude is concerned. So that's my uh, very short answer to your very short question. Now, in the past, you've pointed to speculation as driving up prices. So is that playing a role in what we're seeing here? Uh, Prices in in Western Canada tend to follow the price of crude, which is an absolute number. You can see it. it, It's whatever OPEC uh, comes out with and whatever WTI comes out with. Eastern part of the country, it's, it's more... It's more a speculation of uh, voodoo magic and a crystal ball that uh, speculators on Wall Street say, well, this is where we think uh, prices should go because we, that's where we think we, it should go and there's no other reason for it. So that, that speculation is more on the eastern part of the country and the western part. It's uh, de facto uh, hard numbers from uh, OPEC and the WTI. So, uh, Roger, you mentioned Western Canada. Will there ultimately be net benefits for Canada and its economy and uh, maybe more specifically Alberta? Is this what they've been waiting for to a certain extent? Oh, absolutely. I think they're, they're doing, I think they're silently being very pleased about this because uh, certainly the uh, Western Canadian Select is, gonna, is in high demand and they've opened up the pipeline uh, line uh, three, I believe. Uh, that's going to increase the flow. So uh, I think uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan and uh, people on the prairie should be, be quite happy about it. Uh, not so much when you have to drive to the pump, though, but there's a, there's a good news and bad news situation. But it's, I think the higher price of, of crude is very, very good news for Alberta. They, they've been suffering a long time. Yeah, it always depends on which side you're sitting on, Roger. Just to be clear, though, when we talk about the supply, you know, it's a manufactured supply. More could be produced. They're just not to drive up prices. Is that the bottom line? That's the bottom line. Uh, we've, we've also had problems, uh, and, you know, the Hurricane Ida really cut back uh, platform production in the Gulf. But uh, I think the oil companies and basically government didn't realize how successful, how intense demand would come back people have been frustrated locked in their living rooms and their basements for 16 or 18 months and they said uh, that's enough and uh, i'm going out the question is where is the tipping point now we're, uh, toronto's hitting a dollar 45 tomorrow uh, up two cents uh, and it's, it's pretty well going to go up two cents right across the country but where is the tipping point where do the where where is it i don't think i can see it any any time soon because of this pent-up uh, frustration of wanting to get get out of the house. Roger, before we let you go, we often get uh, uh, 
uh, text messages or emails saying, you know, well, this is because we're not producing enough oil in Canada. We're not manufacturing enough or refining enough oil and turning it into gasoline. You said something just a few moments ago, and I just wanted to revisit it, the the sense that this price is, is not made in Canada. This is the world price. And if the world price goes up, does it matter how much oil and gas is produced in Canada? No, it's it's, it's uh, you know we're we're sort of a uh, North America is an island, right? And it's uh, the island is uh, influenced by the various tides of, of economic economic tides of around around the world. So uh, Canada can keep on producing uh, the, the quality crude that is re- required for the U.S. refineries and and take it from there. The, the big thing right now, I think, is to, is to watch is diesel prices, believe it or not, because diesel prices right now are, are driving gasoline prices. And diesel prices, here's a, here's a good one for you, are really being factored in because of a natural gas shortage in Europe. Take it from there. And it all makes so much sense, question mark, getting, at the end, yes? You getting dizzy? <laughs> <laughs> always, but we appreciate your insight as Don't always, Don't shoot Roger. the messenger. He said it off the top 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, international day. Roger McKnight, <laughs> Senior Petroleum Analyst at NPRO International. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it, sir. Okay, take care now. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, we've got Boo at the Zoo passes to give away right now. If you can answer this question at 204-780-6868. This was invented in 1958 and is probably in your pantry right now. What is it? Again, this was invented in 1958, probably in your pantry right now. What is it? We need three clean guesses, and then if we still are going, then we'll start dropping some hints, Gregor and Loren. But we'll start with Brad. Hi, Brad. Do you know what it is? Oh, my goodness. I'm the least likely person to know about cooking or a pantry. <laughs> some type of invention in 58. The only thing I could think of would be a pressure cooker. That's a great guess. Yeah. I don't mean, I don't know how when the pressure cooker was invented, but that's not it. All right. Thanks, guys. Take okay. care. All right, Brad. Brad sounds like me. <laughs> I think I was a, an amazing guess. Yeah. No, but he, I mean, he's, he's up my alley. He's the last person to have any idea about cooking. Mike, do you know what it is? I'm going to go ahead and say a blender. A blender? No, not a blender. But also a good guess. Yeah, like I think we, we, I think my mom used the blender like once a year to make milkshakes. Oh, I have so many appliances that I like. You have to haul them out of that, and they're always in that tall cupboard above the fridge where oh, you're gosh. climbing on a chair precariously, <laughs> hanging cupboard. from there, and then you're getting the kids. Can you just come hold this and someone else hold the chair? And once a year, <laughs> uselessness. Gosh, Marcy, this was invented in 1958, probably in your pantry right now. What is it? Okay, I, I so when I think pantry, I think food. Yep. Uh, I open I open my, the side of my cupboard with the uh, sweet sweetener stuff and artificial sweetener. Oh, that is a Ooh, that terrific is a good guess. guess. Oh. It's not right, but it's a terrific guess. No, that's not it, Marcy. But great guess. Thank you for trying. Bye now. Okay, so uh, Greg, we've got three. What's the first hint? First hint is is Mar- Marcy is the closest because of the nature, the type of thing that she guessed. 
Les, do you know what it is? Uh, I think TV dinners were invented then, but I think they wouldn't be very good in the pantry. <laughs> <laughs> Les, talking it out, that's good. So maybe, is that is that your guess? Maybe, maybe something, uh, uh, something instant. Uh, I don't know, instant cake mix, instant noodles. I think we got to give it to him. Yeah. You had about seven guesses there. (laughs) (laughs) You were just throwing as many darts as you could there, Les, but you hit the board. He was reading the silence correctly. It's ramen noodles. Ramen. Cool. Right on, Les. Are you going to boo at the zoo? That'll be awesome. Kids will love it. Okay, stand by. I'm going to put you on hold. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, ramen noodles. Hmm. Uh, I, know, I don't have those in my pantry right now. Do you guys? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I bet you we have a dozen of them. My kids eat them all the time. Dad, hungry. There's nothing to eat. Ramen noodles. <laughs> Fix them up, buddy. Get used to it. University's not that far away. Well, that's just it, isn't it? A lot of university students, starving students, basically just eat ramen noodles and craft dinner, right? Yeah, you eat for a buck a day on oh, that stuff. So Life much is sodium grand. in those packages. That's <laughs> yeah, good for your brain. <laughs> is it? Is this... <laughs> Oh, this that's not sci- scientific in okay. any way. No, 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 just no. Just want no. to be clear. You start yeah, the day yeah. off with the angle of the sun influencing <laughs> us in our heat. And so yeah. I'm inclined to listen to you this morning yeah. on oh, your sorry. science sorry, sorry, Loren. That is non-scientific <laughs> advice. Good for your brain. Sodium, probably not. I see Wayne has sent us something that I can't believe that he's still using this. Incredible. He says, I have a lawn sprinkler that is at least 70 years old and maybe older, all metal, and sprinkles the biggest water drops in a circle watering the lawn in half the time. Can't imagine how it could ever stop working. I used to jump over it as a kid. I'm in my 60s. Now my grandchildren jump through it. Thanks, Wayne. No, thank you, Wayne. And the picture is absolutely spectacular. I think you might need to get permission to post that on the Instagram, Brett. Okay, I'll see if I can do that. I can't even find the text. We got so many. Uh, Loren, uh, Jeff was another example of a story that we all liked. Well, just because this is cute. You know I'm a softie sometimes. Hi, Triple M. My name is Jeff. Something I have had for over 20 years and still can't believe it. My wife. We met in the 1980s. I was a full-on headbanger, heavy metal head. She was cute, pretty, smart, caring. Married 32 years, two adult sons who were both successful, and she's still with me. Can't believe it. She is kind, caring, loving, a great mom, will be a fantastic grandma, puts up with my crazy collectibles. Yep, still with me 32 years later. That's just a cute one. That is very cute. This one made me laugh because I think Jerry was was a pirating pioneer. He (laughs) says, I still have a reel-to-reel tape. That I took with a tape recorder at an old Elvis drive-in movie in Nipawa. Oh, boy. It's been converted to CD, then to digital. Quality's not very good, and I don't have a reel-to-reel tape player anymore. But I will find one someday. P.S. Our dates were not happy that we spent the evening <laughs> recording Elvis songs. I bet. <laughs> I think they wanted more romance. Oh, romance. Is that code? <laughs> I think they, it could well, be. They want him to at least look them in the eye, not through whatever he was recording. I, but come on, man. Jerry. Jerry, I think Jerry. Our winner, though, is Vicky. Greg, what did Vicky say? Oh, I love this story. And Vicky's a first-time texter. She says this. My grade 12 high school graduation present in 1983 was from my then boyfriend. It was a hot air popcorn popper. He knew that was my favorite salty snack and was uh, that was popcorn. This type of popcorn popper was extremely new at that time. 
He had to order it ahead of time, so, you know, just didn't drop by the local store. Paid about $75 back in the day. Well, 38 years later, I still have this hot air popper, and it still works great. And, yep, popcorn is still my favorite snack. Sometimes I think maybe I should donate it as it takes up a bit of room, and my husband says, "Ah, you can't get rid of that. The husband's on board yes, keeping was- the gift from the ex-boyfriend. That, that might be question. the best part. Yeah, you're pulling out, like, do, you, do we still pine for this popcorn giver maker? Come on. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be on board with that. That better be good popcorn. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry. B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.